Lots are exciting, aren't they? Aren't you intrigued to know what you've got in yours? I'm hoping mine's not Brussels sprouts or something. <laughs> they are all legal, aren't they? There's nothing dodgy. We're not... Okay. Good. Wow. Obi, could I have the um, slides up? Thank you. Uh, so it's New Year. Happy New Year, everyone. It's that time of year again when everybody reflects and thinks over what's been happening over the last year and looks ahead to the coming one. It's one of those times of year when people um, reassess a little bit, don't they? They reassess priorities, what really matters. Some of us have had a, a couple of days off and opportunity to do that maybe a little bit. And you, you've been thinking, what is it that really matters in my life? And uh, it's commonly known that people make resolutions at this time of year. And I found a survey uh, of the top 10 resolutions that people have made. A survey of two th- our survey asked 2,000 people, not 100 people um, in this case. And uh, top 10, number 10, spend more time with family and friends. Number nine, drink less alcohol. I'm not asking for a show of hands on any of these. Number eight, find another job. Number seven, read more. Number six, quit smoking. Now we're into the top five. Learn a new skill or hobby. That's number five. 26% of people surveyed said that. 32% said save more and spend less. Uh, Number three was 54%. So sudden jump is lose weight. Number two, 65% exercise more. And number one, any idea what number one might be? No. 71%, it's very similar to number three actually, diet or eat healthier. Now I'm told according to the the survey that half of those respondents said that they would fail their resolutions within the month. And uh, so all this time reflecting and pondering and deciding on the basis of what I've known from last year and where I want to go, this is what I'm going to do and we fail straight away. And uh, I I read that list and, and I thought it's disappointing. If anybody else saw that as well, disappointing, slightly. I mean, it's, it's small, isn't it? Now, now, those things might be important individually, and I'm not decrying any of those things. If you've made a resolution to do them, then that's great. But, but if that's it, if that's the sum total of what we want to do this year, if that's the only change from what happened last year, and we're looking ahead and we're going, well, do you know, I'd quite like to read a book maybe this year. Come on. We could do more than that, surely. We could, we could stretch ourselves a little and trust God and say, no, it doesn't say this for Christian people, but it doesn't matter. We're, we're the same, we fit into the same category. And, uh, and I, I guess what we tend to do when we're looking at New Year's resolutions and decisions for the New Year is we look back at what, we've, what we know from the past and we project into what our current circumstances are, what we can imagine for the future. And, and I guess my concern with that is that our thinking can be quite small. I know mine can. And I believe today that God wants to enlarge our vision, enlarge our expectations, enlarge what we believe to be possible. And uh, we're going to be talking for a few weeks from a little book called Colossians. And it's one that Paul wrote, a guy called Paul, one of the early Christian leaders, wrote to a church in Colossae. And it's only a few chapters long, uh, just four, in fact. Not many verses, uh, just four chapters, but it's it, it's like someone coming alongside somebody else who's, who's got all sorts of opportunities but all sorts of challenges all around them and helping them see bigger. 
It's like having somebody come alongside when you're setting your New Year's resolutions and having someone come and say, let's look back properly at what's happened last year and let's look ahead properly to to what might be ahead because this is what I want to say to you. And it's having a good godly friend come and bring some perspective and bring some hope and bring some challenge and some possibility. That's what Colossians is like. And we've called this series Limitless. I think those folk, those 2,000 people who were interviewed... um, came up with the best they could, their resolutions for the new year, but it was based only on what they could see. And what we can see sometimes is not very good, not very helpful. Sometimes we can't see the wood for the trees. We're up too close. We lose perspective on our own lives, let alone on other people's. And we need a fresh perspective. And Colossians does that for us. And we're going to read for the first 14 verses. I've got them up on the screen. And dive into just a few bits of this today. But just see as we read how broad the scope will get very quickly as we read this little letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have For all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that's come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is faithful a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. The people in this book that Paul's writing to in Colossae, it's been a major metropolitan center, uh, and it's declined somewhat. Uh, So the population has shrunk, but in the middle of this shrinking population, a church has arisen as a guy called Epaphras has gone and preached the gospel. And people have responded to uh, the good news of Jesus, and a church has formed and grown up and is now taking hold of this message of the good news of Jesus and putting it into practice. They're putting it into practice in their own lives and and people's lives are being changed as a result. And Paul's writing a letter to encourage them. He's doing it because they've responded to the good news about Jesus, but he's also doing it because they're facing some challenges. Perhaps you recognize our own situation in this way too. They're surrounded by people who have all sorts of different opinions. And they're speaking quite loudly and quite vocally into the church. They're speaking quite loudly and vocally about how people should live and what they should believe and 
and these opinions are all around. And, and Paul's writing to these people, and there's only two letters Paul starts, and he says to the when he says to the faithful, to God's holy people, who he also says are faithful. It's only Ephesians and Colossians where he writes that. All the others he just says to God's holy people. But here he writes that the Colossians are faithful. So we know they're holding on to their faith. They're, they're holding on tightly to what God has done. And also we see that later on uh, in another chapter as well, where he, we see that they're holding on to their faith. And we'll come to that in a minute. So they're holding on to the truths God's putting at work in their lives and the are flowing out from them, but they're surrounded by all these different opinions, different views, different perspectives. And we see in this letter, Paul writing to encourage them in their faith. You see, today, if you don't have a good grasp on who you are, who we are, it's possible to absorb all sorts of messages from society. Today, if we don't have a great grasp on the truths of faith, it's possible when we hear one reasonable-sounding argument that we can, our faith can feel wobbly and shaky. And it, there's no need for that. It's possible that if we don't understand our faith, we can be more ready to listen to our culture than to God. And there's no need for that either. It's possible that we can end up with no confidence in our faith and then have no confidence to share it. And Paul's writing to reassure them and to give confidence and hope amongst these challenges. And I guess what he's doing is a bit like when you, you get your phone out to take a photo and, uh, and, and it's quite a nice view. In, in the old days, you'd have to take lots of pictures and try and stitch them all together, either manually or on the computer when you got home. But now you just click to panorama mode and you sort of zoom around. You kind of do that, don't you? And try and get the panorama in and you, you kind of keep to the line on your camera screen, on your phone screen, and you try and get it all in. You get home and you've got this very little but very long panorama that sometimes doesn't look anything like it did when you were there admiring the view. I took one not so long ago, and it looked much more drizzly and rainy when I looked at home and I deleted the photo. On the day, it looked quite nice. Um, but Paul's doing that, and he's giving them a panorama and saying, don't just look at this bit, look at all of this and see what God is doing. Open your eyes. A few things really quickly. Limitless. Limitless thanksgiving. Paul writes, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith. And so he goes on from there. At the start of this year, what are we thankful for? What are we thankful for at the start of this year? We're going to be having a, a week of prayer starting today. Uh, this evening, we, our theme is Thanksgiving. So we're encouraging everyone to come and to, to, to give thanks, to bring a reason to be thankful from this last year. Something that God's done that you want to come and say thanks for and we'll pray into that as well. And just look back and celebrate what God's been doing amongst us and in our lives. Uh, but what is it that we're giving thanks for today? And, and if it takes us a while and if, if our response is, but Stuart, you don't understand what life's really like. Life's, life sucks at the moment. How can, how can I be thankful? Life's tough. I, I want to just say that thankfulness it's a really powerful thing. That thankfulness breaks the bondage of fear and hopelessness, of lack and of want. Thankfulness destroys envy, it destroys jealousy, it, destroys, it stops us looking at others and saying, but they've got it okay, you don't know my story. Thankfulness breaks that as we begin to find things to be thankful for. Where we look and we say, God, thank you for what you give me. I haven't got that yet. I've been asking for that and I haven't got it. But I have got this and I have got, and I've got you. 
And we begin to list the things that we can be thankful for and it breaks our mentality where we get stuck and limited on what we have and haven't got. What are we thankful for? Paul himself writes, be thankful always or in all circumstances. That's hard to do. Some of you know that. Some of you right now are walking through things that seem much bigger than you. They seem impossible to get through the other side of it. How can I be thankful right now today? How is that possible? I'm encouraged by the fact that the guy who's writing this is writing from prison. His life isn't easy. And he's writing about the power of thankfulness. And he's writing about being thankful. And he's writing, encouraging and praying, saying, I, we give thanks always when we remember you. From prison? Really? Wouldn't, wouldn't he be writing saying, come on, just get me out of here. Get me out. I've had enough. Uh, people are having to feed me. There's no state provision. Prisons in these days in this culture aren't, aren't sort of occasions where you go through the meal line and everything else. Paul's got, he's under guard. People, are, I guess, are having to bring him food. He's having to be provided for. It's not necessarily a nice and comfortable life that he's enduring. He writes later on, would you pray that I have opportunities to share, uh, pray for openness while I'm in my situation, that I may proclaim clearly the message of the gospel while I'm in chains? He's got a, a different mentality, hasn't he, from some of us. When we woke up this morning and went, oh, it's another day. Paul's waking up going, I've got another reason to be thankful. Another reason to be thankful today to celebrate God's goodness, to find something to be thankful for. We don't need to fake it. We don't need to manufacture. We just find that thankfulness builds faith. What is he thankful for for these people? He's thankful that they're doing well. I said they're holding on to the, they're faithful. And we see in chapter 2, verse 5, it says, um, it says here, I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Some scholars have read the book of Colossians and they've, they've looked at all the different false teaching that seems to be around and they've concluded that these Colossians are struggling because of the false teaching and they're beginning to believe it and they're beginning to take, take on board all these thoughts. But Paul wouldn't have written that they were faithful if they were doing that. And he wouldn't have written about how disciplined they were and how firm their faith in Christ was. These people are holding firm to the truth of the gospel. And then there's all sorts of opinions around them and all sorts of viewpoints and all sorts of contradictory things that people are encouraging them to believe. They're holding on tightly. And Paul looks and he says, they're doing well. These people, they're holding on. And this book is an encouragement to keep going. It may be that you need to hear those words today. Keep going. Keep going. Maybe that is a resolution that you could make. Keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going in God day after day after day after day. Paul is thankful for them. He's thankful for the whole church, not just for one or two of them. Uh, we read that he says that um, he writes to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And when he writes that, he's not just writing to the leadership team. He's not just writing to one or two special people. He's writing to the whole group of people. He's saying, I'm thankful for all of you. If he were writing to us, he would be writing to us as a congregation, not just to a few, but would be writing to us en masse to say, I'm thankful for you. He writes to them to strengthen them and encourage them and bless them and see them grow. He's, he's thankful that they, 
they have faith and they have hope and they have love. He's thankful that he do, they do those things together. And when he's writing, he's, he's talking to them saying, we thank God when we pray because we've heard of your faith and the love you have for all of God's people. They're loving together. They're faithful together. And they're in this together. They're not on their own. And I just want to say this before I move on. Um, we're going to be sharing about life groups later on. Uh, and we've got some new life groups coming. We're promoting, just saying, look, here's some great groups to get involved in. And this is another thing that's really important. Much as starting the year with a week of prayer is important because we can reflect and pray and, and dedicate ourselves afresh to God. Being connected with one another, growing together in God is really, really important. And as a church, it's one of those things we value massively. Uh, our life groups are all about growth. We want to grow in God, but we don't just want to do it on our own. We don't just want to consume teaching, to consume an activity, a program. Go, oh, I like the look of that. Well, that might be what gets us into it, but actually what we find is that we're together with a group of people and we're growing with them. and We're growing in faith. So if you're, nobody will be in a life group at the moment. I'm just about to say if you're not in one, get, get into one. But we're starting them again. So get into a life group. Sign up for one and get involved and walk together with others. Secondly, limitless hope. We've heard of your faith in Christ and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel. What is our hope today? Is it Brexit falling on the right side that we voted for or didn't vote for, whichever way you went? Is our hope our football team doing well in the FA Cup or something else? Is that our hope? Is our hope in... In a politician, is our hope in, in, in a better job? Is our hope in us keeping to our diet plan if we're working to the resolutions we had earlier? What, what is our hope? So many of those things are fragile and, and just run through our fingers almost. Paul's writing to these people, telling them about the hope they can have in God and the hope they do have. He's giving thanks for the hope they have got. I don't know if you noticed there that it talks about how there, the faith and love and hope, we get those, that triad, those three in Corinthians 2 when we read about faith, hope, and love. And there, love is the most important. Here, it seems that hope is because it's hope that actually is, is the thing that love comes from and faith comes from too. And these people. And Paul's writing and he says that your hope is stored up for you in heaven. And it would be possible to read that and go, yep, I've heard about that. I've heard that if I come to Jesus, I know I can go to heaven when I die. Great. And of course, that's kind of true. It's true, but it's such a, a sliver of truth. And the perspective that Jesus brings is so much bigger that that's not really what the gospel message is about. It's not an insurance policy. It's not an insurance policy saying if you pray the right prayer, you can... Be right with God and go to heaven when you die and, and phew, that's it. At least, at least that bit's done. Like renewing your car tax or something. Well, at least I've got that down out of the way. It's not like that. The invitation to follow Christ, the invitation to, to walk with God is an invitation to do that now, not just in the future. It's an invitation to, to believe in him and walk with him day by day. When Jesus teaches on the kingdom of heaven, he, he talks about it being a present reality. He goes and proclaims, he says, the kingdom of God is among you when he teaches the disciples how to pray. 
What does he say? It's your kingdom come. Your will be done. He's not waiting for a day in the future when we go to be with him. But he's saying, now let your kingdom come. And this sense of heaven is, is a sense of the present reality of the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God. God wants to reign now. The Colossians' hope isn't just in the future, though it is stored up. It's not just them leaving this place and going somewhere else. It, it's actually connected with God reigning and ruling now. More than that, it's kept in heaven for them, stored up. It's, it's actually, their hope is in Christ. Who is it that we talk about being in heaven? Who is it we talk about being in that place, seated at the right hand of the Father? In Colossians 3, Paul writes this. He says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the thing above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so our hope isn't just that we vacate the troubles that we have now and are relocated somewhere else. That's not really what the gospel message is. The gospel message is that we can be with Christ for all time. And we can start that now. And we can have a hope that's now in Christ and he is in heaven. We can have hope because he's risen. We can have hope because he's ascended. We can have hope because he's glorified. Our hope is sure and it's certain and it's not taken away because Christ is risen and he's alive. And so the hope the Colossians have it isn't just a hope that one day maybe there's something more to life after this. It's a living, vibrant hope in the kingdom of God now. And that hope brings about action. You notice that? The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you. Paul talks about the, the love they have for all of God's people. There's an action, this corporate love that flows out and flows around. Where these people are being motivated to give and to care and to love. You know, that hope, what you're hoping should change the way you live. Our hope in heaven, that's stored in heaven, isn't to insulate us from the problems of today. It, it isn't just to, to insulate us and give us a, a nice warm feeling that there might be something better. Our hope is alive and vibrant, and our hope is to motivate us to do something differently. I'm thrilled that Christians have been at the forefront over many years of social change of bringing all sorts of programs and plans in that have been a blessing to people around the world. The Christians are at the forefront of establishing hospitals and schools and, and social programs that have made a real difference in people's lives. And that's because Christians had, have hope. We have a hope. We're not the only ones who set up hospitals and schools, but, but you get the, the perspective that it should be flowing from what God has done in us that we make a difference in the world around us. We, as God's people, we're meant to be at the forefront of justice issues. We're meant to be at the forefront of, of working in the environment to, to safeguard and to, to foster good environmental care. We're meant to be at the forefront of helping the poor. Those are the big issues, but also the daily ones. You see, every day you walk to work, you walk into work, you, you go in as 
one of the saints, God's holy people, the faithful. One of God's holy ones, one of those ones who carries the hope of the gospel. Those of you that visit people's homes, every home you go into, you're visiting, carrying the hope that's stored up for you in heaven. And it should flow from us. The decisions that we make in the workplace should be motivated by the hope that we have. Not just that we're going to be okay one day, but that we're okay now. Because God is ruling and God is reigning. And out of our hope, we're going to treat other people differently. And we're going to bring hope into their world too. It may appear that we can only make a small difference. This group in Colossians, we don't know how big they are. We know the town has shrunk rather dramatically. It's no longer a major city, a major, major center in the world. It's, it's kind of provincial. But Paul has heard about their love for all people. He's heard about their faith. He's heard about their hope. This is a church that now is built in Burkina Faso. And uh, it's finished. Um, a pastor's house I've not got photos of, but this is something that we contributed to and funded last year. We were able to give out of the generosity of the giving of the church. And so there is a group of people that will be meeting in this building who will be giving thanks for the love that's been shown, springing out of the hope that we have in Christ in Tunbridge Wells. That makes a difference to their lives. There are some pastors in India today who are being funded as they begin their work in pioneering in an area where there's no message of Jesus being proclaimed. Uh, and they're supported because of people's giving here. And they will be giving thanks for the love that's shown out of the hope that we have in Christ. And I could go on with the stories of people around the world who are thankful for this group of people and lots of other churches like ours, where people are giving so that out of the abundance God has given us, we can be a blessing. And, and I can imagine that letters being written like this one. I've heard of your love. I've heard of your faith. And so my encouragement is let's keep on. Let's keep on going. Let's keep on giving. Let's keep on loving. Let's keep on seeing the overflow out of the hope that we have in Christ. One of the things we're believing God for this year is an increase in our mission, an increase in going out to our community around and loving people in the name of Jesus and putting events on and different activities to show Jesus' love to our community. We want to make a real difference this year to serve others. We're praying into how, when, and where, and there'll be an opportunity during this week of prayer to pray into those very things, to, to respond in that way. Talking of prayer, limitless prayer, it's the last one. Simple question. How do you pray? All of us do. How do we pray? I suppose I'm not really asking where you pray, but how you pray. See, I read this letter in preparation to preach, and, uh, and I was shocked at my prayer life in comparison. I read this prayer that Paul prays, and it, it really, really challenged me. I was in a meeting not so long ago with some other church leaders and we were chatting about how to encourage people to pray. And one of the other leaders said they were aware that it was very difficult to teach 
on prayer, you needed to catch it rather than so you need to be caught rather than taught. So naturally, you need to be around some people who know how to pray, to learn how to pray yourself and be inspired by them and hear them praying because it does you good. And I, I wonder if that's what Paul's doing here as he writes in so many of his letters a prayer. And you can read it and you go, maybe I could pray a bit more like that. Because I want to just for a minute or so go over this prayer that Paul prays. Because I think it, it matters how we pray. It, it matters because how we pray talks of how we see God and how we see ourselves and how we see this whole transaction of what's going on. What does Paul pray? Paul prays this. Verse 9. We just, there's a little Greek word called pass. Um, and there's various endings to that, but it's used repeatedly in this passage. And it just means all. And he goes on saying all, every, all. And it's just repeatedly through this thing. And it's, it's this sense of limitless. His scope is huge. Listen to this prayer. Since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So he's praying firstly that they'll be filled with the knowledge of his will through all all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. That's a lot of wisdom and understanding. If he's going to pray for them to have all wisdom and understanding from the Spirit, that's a lot. So that you may live life, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. It's that word again. Every way. You might please, can you imagine that? That you're filled with the knowledge of all the knowledge and the wisdom of God, number one. And secondly, that you please God in every way. How many of us would write those as New Year's resolutions? They'd be too big for us, wouldn't they? I'm going to please God in every single way. And I'm going to be filled with the knowledge of all the wisdom that God gives. That's impossible. You say, Stuart, what are you talking about? We can't even hope for those things. It's beyond us. It's vast. It's too big. And that's Paul's prayer. He's praying these things for them. Bearing fruit in every Good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with how much power? All power, according to his glorious might, so you might have great endurance and patience. This is huge. All wisdom, pleasing God in all ways, all power. When I look at my prayer life, I'm, I'm concerned that actually I moderate my asking of God. I moderate my prayer to make it acceptable. So that I don't push the boundaries too far. I don't ask for too much. You know, Lord, if it wouldn't trouble you, perhaps I could just, like the the woman who comes to Jesus and says about having the crumbs from the table. I don't think that's how we should pray. We continually ask that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will, that you may live a life worthy, that you'd bear fruit in every good work, that you'd grow in the knowledge of God and be strengthened with all power that's a big prayer paul is praying without limits without holding back he's thinking what's the biggest what's what i really want for them that's what i'd want and that's what i'm going to pray but what about disappointment surely if we pray big prayers we'll get big disappointments well the colossians are never going to attain that They're never going to have all the knowledge of God. 
They're never going to live a life worthy of the Lord in every single way because they're going to slip up sometimes. They're going to bear fruit in many good works, but every. But should we moderate our prayer down or should we pray big, expansive prayers and see what God will do? I think it's time to rewrite the way we pray, to pray with thanksgiving, to pray with hope, to pray taking off the boundaries of what we think might happen and say, God, with you, anything's possible. So my encouragement today, and the clue is going to come next week and onwards, it's all because of Jesus, all of this. It's all because of him. My encouragement today is that we don't set limits on God. We don't set limits on our life, our life and what can happen this year based on our past experience and what we think is manageable. But we say, God, we're trusting you again. My prayer and my encouragement today is that we start being thankful again, that we give thanks to God, that we have hope and that we pray bold prayers. I realized when I was reading about these folk here, as a, again, as we're often reminded in Scripture, that just having limited income and limited resources doesn't stop us being generous. Having limited time, limited energy doesn't stop us loving other people and showing others that they're loved. Having limited opportunities doesn't stop us encouraging. Paul's in prison. He hasn't got money. He's got a lot of time on his hands. He hasn't got a lot of flexibility on what he does, but he's writing to encourage and bless, and maybe we can. So just as we wrap up, How's your thankfulness? How's our hope? And how will we pray in these coming days? May God bless us. Amen.